0: We're listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert! No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending, so just be warned. Staying Alive, which came out in 1983. It was directed by sylvester stallone it stars john travolta cynthia rhodes Penelope hughes steve inwood frank stallone and julie Bavasso. the genre would be dance drama slash musical in the hit sequel to saturday night fever john travolta dances his way to the new york stage guess what i got a job on broadway way go, but a sizzling affair with a beautiful dancer sparks a bitter romantic triangle can't always be second choice you're not i am and you know i am but we did it don't mean nothing to you we met i liked you we made it what do you think it was true love everybody uses everybody what you have is anger and a certain intensity and that's what i need to make this show work everybody uses everybody don't they Cynthia Rhodes and Fanola Hughes co-star in this electrifying dance spectacle directed by Sylvester Stallone. Staying Alive. If I were to craft a tagline for this movie, I would probably make it from the horribly beautiful mind of Sly Stallone with songs by Frank Stallone. It goes without saying that this film is ridiculous. The dialogue is pretty awful, and I wonder if the story actually helped inspire Showgirls, which would come out 12 years later. It's a nonsensical plot about Tony Manero, six years after the events of Saturday Night Fever. One of my favorite movies and previous episode, trying to make it on Broadway as a dancer. And he just got his first big break, a prominent role in the lavish new Broadway musical, Satan's Alley. For those who forgot, the show's called Satan's Alley. It's a journey through hell that ends with an ascent to heaven. Which I understand was loosely based on cats. Just kidding. <laughs> Oh, and there's a love triangle, sort of involving him, his devoted, quote, friend, Jackie, and Laura, the stuck-up British star of the show, played by Fanola Hughes. I mean, Tony acts like a dick to both of them, but at least he's cleaned up his language since the last movie. I'd have to cancel my meeting with the mayor. And then I'd have to cancel my yoga class. It's all right. I'd have to cancel my brain operation. Stallone directed this between Rocky movies, between three and four, and you can tell because he directs it just like an 80s Rocky movie, filled with montages, excessive baby oil, and a dim-witted Italian protagonist who comes off as charming to those around him. Hey, Tony, how's your love life? It's all right. You know why I order so many drinks? Because you're an alcoholic. No, because I love to watch you walk. It's not in any way, shape, or form an objectively good movie, Yet it's oddly watchable, especially an utterly ridiculous climax where it's obvious that Stallone had zero clue about the inner workings of a major Broadway musical at the time. But wow, it's a kick to watch him try. Come on. Travolta looks amazingly ripped, and while the dancing is ridiculous this time around, he does his best to sell it. And he's pretty funny, too, for the most part, when he's not stalking Hughes or snubbing Rhodes. And we even get to hear gems like this one when we see him at an audition. Hi, I'm Joy. I'm happiness. (laughs) I bet you are. (laughs) Well, if nothing else, I still would have paid to have seen a live performance of Satan's Alley. It certainly seemed more entertaining than Cats at the time. And this brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Now, as far as soundtracks go, the original Saturday Night Fever set the standard for all pop soundtracks which would follow. So it would have been foolhardy to expect that this sequel would even come close in the music department. And guess what? It doesn't. (laughs) But that said, this movie still features a pretty solid assortment of original songs, including five new songs from the Bee Gees, which are all pretty good, though none are as catchy as the ones from that first movie. And we do hear the return of one particular notable song, which may or may not have inspired the title of this movie. I also happen to love its usage as well, but I'll save that for another category. It's unfortunate that beyond that final callback, none of the BG stuff is given much prominence within the movie, except for one strong mid-tempo number playing over a super awkward montage between Tony and Laura roughly midway through, frolicking and laughing and chit-chatting all over New York City. Actually, it is the song that kind of makes this scene. The song is called I Love You Too Much. That said, the overall musical highlight comes from the same person whom I referred to earlier and derisively at the beginning of this review. Perhaps unfairly so because he happens to provide three genuinely good songs to the soundtrack himself. I'm of course referring to the director's brother, Frank Stallone, who also has a prominent supporting role as a singer who collaborates with Jackie. I don't like him, I wouldn't trust him. He looks like some demented paratrooper. He is just a friend. Hey, listen, thanks Carl. Sorry, is everything all right? everything is fine she's in good hands hey, what do you all state pal yeah you want this ability look i'll see you wednesday okay For me and the vast, vast majority of folks who have seen this movie, the needle drop to end all needle drops has to be Frank Stallone's fast-paced rocker, which we hear over two notable montages, including a memorable opening credit sequence of dancers auditioning. No, I don't care what anyone says, but from those opening piano chords and drums and guitar, this song just grabs me. It's cheesy, but it's a genuine banger. Definitely one of the more underrated opening numbers of any 80s soundtrack. I'm talking about Far. From over. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now back to Jackie. She is played by the lovely Cynthia Rhodes who was smack in the middle of a sterling 80s run, including Flashdance, Runaway, and Dirty Dancing. Fun movies all, and in every one she plays a somewhat thankless role, though she really shines, but none more so than her role here. Her character is just continuously demeaned by Tony as he just strings her along. Now it would be more painful to watch if not for the fact that at the very least, her mistreatment is a significant upgrade over what we saw Donna Peskow's poor Annette go through in Saturday Night Fever six years prior. Well, that, and we get to watch Tony smooth talk Jackie with gems like these. I want to say something to you, but it's 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 really hard because I'm just not used to saying nice things to you. That's all. And now this brings me to the trailer moment. This is the or moment that best describes this movie. As much as I can enjoy this movie for the guilty pleasure that it is, I cannot dispute the fact that as a direct sequel to Saturday Night Fever, which remains one of the most influential movies of the 70s, while also being one of my personal favorites, Staying Alive just completely misses the mark. It just does. There's no bones about it. Yes, on paper, it kind of makes sense to see Tony Manero's story progress to him being an aspiring dance performer across the river in Manhattan. But whereas his character is given nuance and pathos in that first film, along with a select other few characters, there is no depth given to Tony nor anyone else whom he encounters in this movie. Every action and line of dialogue is purely surface level, and the way his overall arc progresses, including that troubled relationship with Jackie, it never really tracks from scene to scene. It even often feels at points that there are some scenes either missing or placed out of order. That said, this movie does succeed at a couple of points of doing the one thing, the one thing, which now 40 years later in today's movie marketplace is apparently the only thing we can count on getting a steady helping of from most of Hollywood's most prominent entertainments. Well, I sound pretty cynical here. And that would be fan service. Yeah, it's no mistake that this review is sandwiched in between Spider-Verse and The Flash. And we have two such memorable moments of clever callbacks to the previous film in this movie. One occurs about halfway through, and the other occurs at the end. The first one features the main appearance of the one other returning cast member from that first movie. And that would be the late, great Julie Bavasso, who plays Florence Monero, Tony's dear mother. Tony's just taken a long midnight walk across the Brooklyn Bridge back to his old childhood home in Bay Ridge, where his mother serves him some pie early in the morning. And they talk for a few minutes. I mean, not much is said, and the message that's actually conveyed to him is probably not really helpful. This this attitude you're talking about. That's what got you out of this damn neighborhood. So don't go apologize. You don't need to apologize because you must have been doing something right. So what you're saying is I've always been this bastard, but it's all right because, like, it, it comes natural to me. Something like that. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, double, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just sweet to watch them sitting across the table from each other. It's also likely the most natural acting that we see from Travolta for the entire movie. But even more so, it's just such a treat to see Bavasso's return as she was such a sympathetic and engaging presence in that first movie. I have another piece of this pie. It's very good. Better than stuff I get in New York. You know, I bought you a ticket for the show. 26 bucks. (laughs) I'm a hot shot now. Now, the other one is cheap, 100% shameless fan service for sure. But man, does it always work on me. I can't imagine any better way to end the movie, honestly. And this is the very end of the movie, no less. Tony and Jackie and crew just finished a wild, tumultuous opening night performance of Satan's Alley. And by all accounts, it's an instant smash. The audience loves it and goes nuts. And everybody is congratulating Tony for stealing the show, literally, yeah, with his dance performance. He and Jackie are near one of the exit doors backstage. He kisses her and thanks her for how essential she was for helping him land and nail this part. Good job, Tony. But this is Tony Manero. He just can't go out and celebrate with anyone else, let alone Jackie. Nuh-uh. Nope. There's only one thing he can do. And nobody expresses it better than he could. You know what I want to do? What? You know what I want to do? What? Strut. right he busts open the exit door and by himself he just starts strutting into the manhattan night with that classic bg song playing over it right into the end credits this is of course a callback to the iconic opening credits sequence of saturday night fever now whether it's earned or not doesn't matter it's still a fun celebratory moment the next category would be the mvp This is the person or people who was most responsible for the success of this film. Now, if I'm being honest, this category could almost be Wasted Talent Part 2, as the two most obvious creative forces behind this movie are Travolta and Stallone. They both showed significant creative drop-offs from their previous films, no less. Travolta had previously starred in the masterpiece and previous episode Blowout, which many, myself included, might have considered his best overall performance, the best performance of his career, whereas Stallone was coming off of directing Rocky III the previous year also previous episode, which in my opinion was a very strong movie despite some cheesy elements. And upon release 40 years ago, this movie was pilloried by critics and remains the rare big Hollywood release to have a 0% Rotten Tomatoes score, whether that means anything to you, of course. It was even looked upon as a commercial flop, even though it actually did pretty well at the box office, and is also often considered one of the worst films of the 1980s, and according to Entertainment Weekly, the worst sequel ever. So as much of a letdown as this movie was... Was it actually that bad? Well, no. It's a mess, no doubt. And there are no shortage of laughably bad moments just within that climactic Satan's Alley sequence alone. And yet, I just can't look away. Stallone loves his training montages. And they can be fun to watch, even when they're nonsensical. He even hired his brother to do three songs, which on paper should be a horrible idea. And yet the songs are fun, even when they're bad. And Travolta is pretty much playing a more baby-oiled, PG-rated dim bulb version of Tony Manero here. It's far from Oscar caliber like that first performance, but he's still fun to watch. If you're a fan of either of these guys, there's plenty to enjoy here. That and this film happens to be the subject of one of my favorite all-time YouTube reviews. One that actually gave me a new appreciation of this film, years after initially seeing it. It's probably my most watched video on that platform as it never fails to make me laugh and it was likely the main catalyst for me wanting to revisit this movie seven years ago when the video was released i'm talking about brad jones dude's been doing this online thing for the past 10 years and he's one of the best and like me he's also a huge fan of saturday night fever his cinema snob review of this very movie released back in 2015 remains one of his best it's currently on the stone gremlin youtube channel and i'll include a link in the description of this review It's six years later, and Tony is still swatting flies out of his hair. The movie's title just jumps at the screen like it should be on the back of a rhinestone jacket. Here's how you know the movie's in trouble. The title comes from the hit B.G. song, Stayin' Alive. You hear that? Stayin' alive! Not staying alive! Stayin' alive! There's no G in this disco dojo! And believe me, with this review, I tried so hard not to tread on any of the same territory that he did when skewering this movie. So along with a special shout out to the cinema snob, I have to anoint Sylvester Stallone and John Travolta as co-MVPs for both giving their all towards making a truly watchable bad movie. Can you believe that Rocky Balboa and Tony Minera, the two dumbest people in the history of cinema, now together for the first time to form the dumbest, worst film of all time? Okay. My rating for Staying Alive would be two stars out of five. 1983 was kind of a seminal movie year in retrospect, as I would consider it to be the first truly mediocre year, movie-wise, of the 1980s. From 80 to 82, you still had gobs of quality films from idiosyncratic filmmakers, auteurs. But by this particular point, the dizzying creative highs of the 1970s in cinema were starting to wear off, unfortunately. Yep, by the time 83 rolled along, Hollywood just became more focused on cranking out a myriad of questionable, unnecessary sequels. I mean, this was the year of Superman 3, Jaws 3D, The Sting 2, Amityville 3D, Porky's 2 The Next Day. Yep, that's a real movie, which I can even admit to have watched on cable. Curse of the Pink Panther, Smokey and the Bandit Part 3, which did not even have Burt Reynolds returning. Why? And not one, but two mediocre James Bond films sad. So I don't know. Compared to that crop, maybe staying alive wasn't so bad in retrospect. And if you're looking to watch this gem, it is currently streaming on Prime Video, Paramount+, and MGM+. Plus. And that ends another strutting review. Special shout out to my lovely wife Marlene Gershon for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter Ella Gershon for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema.